And welcome back to another Impact Tonight of Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 125. I'm your host, ID3, Friday the Jerome Third. Tonight's comments are Eric Court, Buddy Thornton, and Dr. Stephen Jones. Uh, Dr. Stephen Jones, please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. And Buddy Thornton, please say hello to the people. I am so thrilled to be here with my panel mates tonight, and I appreciate the invite. And the one and only Eric Court, please say hello to the people. People, people, people. Hello, hello, y'all. I love it, I love it, I love it. Well, tonight's topic is the golden rules of high expectations during COVID-19. Most schools will continue all of the COVID-19 precautions since the outbreak started in 2020, including vaccinations, including testing, masking, symptoms, tracking. The teacher's role in this process has never been more significant, has never been more clear, has never been more focused in providing the help and resources students need to meet these goals. Teachers will have to communicate to both parents and students that they have the skills and supports necessary to be successful moving forward. When students struggle to meet high expectations, we're talking everything from classroom, behavior to positive youth development to academic achievements. A conversation like tonight must be made to determine the issue, the challenges ahead so that we can plan to help our students get back on track. We have pivoted into a new ideology, a new platform, a new society. So it is so necessary moving forward that both parents and teachers give students the autonomy to discuss their vision candidly and to make some decisions as a class to help us reinforce these expectations that we are having and making moving forward to encourage education, to encourage support systems, and to encourage the digital age. First, I wanna bring on Dr. Stephen Jones, sir. So glad you're back with us. It's been a while. Please tell us what you're doing currently, sir. Well, currently, um, the good thing is our semester just ended, but I'm actually, I've I've written all these books and I'm actually going to work on another book um, that's going to be kind of like a 365 day journey kind of book where you can write little notes and get some encouragement every day. So um, doing that, I'm marketing and working on a summer program for STEM for young people. And um, and I continue to be out there with the classes and courses that I have and books that I have with school districts and after school programs, Upper Bound and Talent Search and Gear Up, all those kinds of programs that support students need resources to help their students to be successful. And that's what I'm, I'm all about college readiness and um, making sure that you actually have a plan for college access 
and, and even trade schools to help students get into those and to be successful with it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I want to also bring on Eric Cork uh, here real quick. Um, Mr. Cork, what have you been up to, sir, and what are you doing currently? Well, Isaiah, I've been in the process of reinventing uh, myself as a result of taking advantage of this new global landscape that we're on. I, I travel uh, around the country uh, doing uh, writing seminars and writing camps on schools um, with students from age uh, third grade all the way through college. But right now I've, I've written over uh, 200 books, but I've only published one <laughs> and it sold like yeah. 250,000 copies, you know, but I've mm. been, um, I'm going to release a bookstore and doing some things right there, but I'm going to launch some other inventions, um, innovations that I have. Um, I'm going to do it all at one time, and I want it to seem like I just crawled out from under a rock, Isaiah, like, where has this guy been? No, you know, just because <laughs> when I release it, it's, yeah. it's going to be huge, and you only get that first mm -hmm. time to make that impression. So that's what I've been doing. To answer your question directly, I've been in my backyard building um, my tool shed. I've been a, I built a two-story uh, tool shed. Uh, tool shack and woodshed and a boathouse <laughs> all in one and I built all that and I got the neighbors calling what is he building you know the homeowners association so that's what I've been working on right now along with um, you know getting ready for my um, uh, new launch of things that I'm going to be doing and I'm just sort of keeping some things under wraps right now but I'm just kind of um, involved in taking things to the next level I'm going to break the Guinness Book of World Records and one of the things I'm going to be doing. Um, so I'm in transition. That's the basic, simple answer to your question. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, uh, you know, Mr. Cordes was worked with some of everyone. So has uh, Dr. Jones. And that brings me to a transition, actually. I want to go. Let me ask Dr. Jones. I want to ask you the first question real quick. Uh, because, you know, right now, because of COVID-19, and you've been in education for almost four decades, and because of COVID-19, we have seen some uh, consequences. We've seen some positive consequences. We've seen some negative uh, consequences. And moving forward, educators that are in the field, uh, both in secondary education and in the higher uh, echelons of education, because uh, we all know that you deal with the high touch of education uh, as the dean of your university. We want to talk about some of the best practices uh, that we can start uh, implementing with different rules and procedures uh, moving forward. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we need to know uh, what it's going to take moving forward. And, and we know listening skills are, are a key component to making uh, this, I would say, uh, happen. Uh, listening skills is, is a very key component uh, to making uh, these things work. Uh, so uh, as it relates to, you know, the, the consequences uh, that have um, that we are faced with as educators, okay, uh, what type of expectations should educators, you know, be looking for moving ahead? Because, you know, our students have been in, in so many uh, ways under a lot of pressure. They've been hard pressed in every uh, different way. And so, you know, how can we kind of like monitor, how can we kind of, how can we guide 
uh, how can we motivate, right, um, you know, these students moving forward and, and, and keep the expectations at a high level uh, moving forward? If you could explain it to us, we would love to hear from your point of view, sir. Well, I'm going to start with um, self-care. I think that, you know, we're, I understand, and we'll talk about this, the stress and the, the anxiety and the problems that students have had, but also on the side of the administration, the teachers, um, the counselors, they're overworked as well. And we're seeing, you know, their normal response to certain situations may come out differently because of the stress that they're under. So I think in order to address the issues of the students, we had to also be concerned about the wellness and well-being of those who are serving the students. I was just talking to a principal today, and I've been reading some articles about the number of schools that uh, principals that come to school every day and four or five teachers are out. Uh, you know, a lot more teachers than normal are out. And so that adds another stress to him. It adds another stress to the other faculty who's going to teach the students. And then the students not totally getting all the knowledge that they should be getting because they have a substitute teacher. So it's made it even more complex. I mean, you know, some students may not like that, the substitute, substitute teacher that's identified for their class. And that can cause another level of of stress and anxiety. Um, but I, I like what you said earlier, we have to be good listeners. And so we, we have to be good listeners, but we also have to be problem solvers. We can't just say, oh, here's the problem over here. This student, um, you know, whenever they have a test, they have test taking anxiety and they act out because of that. No, we need to find solutions. And sometimes the solutions are not in just uh, trying to solve it by yourself, but by asking other people what have been their experiences so you can implement a strategy that's going to help help them help them to get to where you need to get to academically. That was amazing. That was amazing. I, listen, I want to point out, and I'm going to get back to this later, uh, I want to point out three things that I want uh, the panelists to kind of chew on uh, for a little bit because we're going to go back to that. Uh, but I, I love uh, I, I love what you said, Dr. Jones. Um uh, it, had, it had so much meat on that bone, if you will. Uh, the three things I want you guys to kind of chew on for a little bit is, you know, motivation. How is motivation tied to participation? And how can you use those two to get um, success? How can you use those two to bring a, a student or a person uh, to success. Let me let me go quickly to um, Buddy Throwing the Pot of Social Change Agent Pro. Sir, how you been? What you been up to? Karen Lee, uh, you are a warrior. You are a fighter. You are a conqueror, uh, not only a survivor, but let us know what you got going on, sir. Well, Isaiah, I, uh, my first book uh, should be out by the end of the year from Folden Books on Applied Ethics. My second book on applied morals was uh, accepted and is in editing at Fulton Books. Books three and four are currently in production, and they just approved the outlines for books five through eight of my 12-book series called the Slippery Slope series. So that part of my uh, domain is functioning pretty well. And uh, 
obviously COVID is keeping me off of the uh, face-to-face circuit. So I'm concentrating on building out my online platform and, of course, with your help. So uh, thank you very much for that. But, uh, you know, we just try to persevere. Uh, I've had some health issues, kind of worked my way through COVID in August and September, as you well know. And, uh, you know, we just have to keep uh, moving on. God obviously thought I was more uh, valuable here than with him, so he left me here, and I, I appreciate that. So we keep going. Absolutely. You know, Dr. Jones said something so important. I, I just, you know, just thinking about it uh, as I was retrospecting. Um, he said that uh, because of uh, teacher absences, uh, we are getting more substitute teachers, which is, you know, uh, you know, not a bad thing because at least we have teachers coming in, kind of taking uh, the place. But, the, you know, the challenge comes in when it, it comes to collecting work and collecting those assignments, uh, getting students uh, ahead uh, with content, uh, with vocabulary, uh, with test taking strategies, right? Uh, knowing uh, the different uh, learning models and, and elements, tables that they have to know to pass these standardized tests right because you know this is how we are choosing to measure education now we're choosing to measure you know education with technology and the mix using standardized testing if you will and that's just my my uh you know my two cents okay so you know moving forward we need we need feedback we need feedback that gives solutions to challenges or problems, however you want to call it. But we need uh, people in uh, the business of education that have a, a high touch perspective and an overview uh, of what it looks like, right? And so they can give us those signals, uh, you know, where to go. And, and I, I, what I mean by signals, they can be that GPS. They can be that GPS to first of all, you know, locate us, you know, where are we? Where are we? And now, and where do we need to go? Right? And so, you know, buddy, with that in mind, what are some ways educators can increase a sense of school belonging? What I mean by school belonging, I'm talking about uh, perception, I'm talking about vision, I'm talking about culture, right? Um, that is going to be necessary moving ahead to fight against school dropouts, school violence, and cultural awareness. Now, I'm asking you this question because you are a, a mediator. You are the positive social change agent pro. And so, you know, with that in mind, what are some ways educators can can start working on uh, these challenges. Uh, what are some of the solutions? Excellent prompt, as usual. Uh, first of all, teachers are a breed that are very unique. Uh, let's just make it uh, just a standardized uh, statement that they're not in it for the money. <laughs> we know that uh, across the board, they're not in it for the money. So they have to be in it for some reason. They're in it because they love the kids. And if they love the kids, then we need to find some commonality. 
And what is the commonality? Okay, if all of the teachers embrace one concept, that they need to, A, be willing to listen to the story. They need to be willing to treat each child based on the uniqueness of that child within an environment where the children are not allowed to be unique. They all have to be fit within one box, but each child, unfortunately, is unique, and they, they get, they look, that gets lost in the mix, and they need to feel like they're still unique even though they're kept in a box. So teachers need to embrace the need to allow each child to feel unique and to feel as if they're heard. So parent, teachers need to understand that they, that may not be happening at home. That may not be happening in the community, but it needs to happen in the school environment. If you want to prevent dropouts, if you want to get kids to interact in the classroom or in the school environment on the campus, then you have to get them to feel like they belong on the campus. So what you have to do is you have to invite them to share their experiences, especially during COVID. This is a very high-stress environment. A lot of these kids believe that the school environment is their only safe environment. So if they come to the school and then they're shut down and they're not allowed to share their fears and they're not allowed to share their experiences and their feeling of loneliness, then they're going to be lost. So the teachers have to have one common goal, and that is to listen and to listen with empathy and allow the children to share and encourage them to share as a group. Share out in the open. There's no reason to hide the sharing. Anchor on the sameness. Every child has some type of a fear, some type of a story to share. So let's anchor on the fact that that sharing is the sameness that we can all anchor on. Now, we can understand that there's a lot of different cultures, especially in diverse new neighborhoods and in diverse school environments. So we anchor on the sameness that they all share their fears, regardless of what their culture is, regardless, we can tell them you're all unique, but you're all the same because you have these shares that you can, you can relate to. As soon as you start getting them to relate to each other, then the traits that are visible disappear into the background and the sameness that they can share on a mental level, on an abstract level, especially for middle school and high school and college students, the abstractions start to take shape and the visible traits disappear into the background. Now you can start to celebrate a broader calendar. You can talk about cross-cultural things without getting into the divisive topics. Well, there's a lot of school systems and there's a lot of states and there's a lot of politicians who don't want us talking about race and they don't want us talking about social issues. Okay, fine. But let's let the kids generate the topics. Let them break all the eggs and then the teachers can sweep all those eggshells out of the room because the kids brought the topic up. We didn't bring the topic up. And once we've swept all those eggshells out of the room and we've asked for the sharing and they've shared, now we can celebrate and honor the share and now we've created a culture where these kids are not only sharing, but they're feeling a common bond. How do we do that? We explain, we explore, we practice, we model, we reframe whatever concepts we need to when they ask because they're confused. 
but we anchor it all on universal positive regard that they all need to celebrate the fact that they have the same fears, the same goals, the same needs, the same social construct, but they all need to do that under the framework that they get to keep their uniqueness. We give them the respect for their uniqueness, but we need to encourage self-dignity because once they embrace that, that they all have a common purpose, but they get to keep their uniqueness, now they trust us. Now they want to be there. It's not a question of whether we can keep them there. It's, it's a question of when we can make them go home. I've got a mantra that I, I tend to live by, and that is if we can open their hearts, we can reach their minds, and then we can nourish their soul. And that's how we need to approach it. If we can do that, and we can do that across the board, whether we're the regular teacher, the substitute teacher, the administrator, the staff member, I think we can win this battle. Wow, 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 wow. What you said has so much vision. And, and see, now I'm about to do something here different uh, from what I had in mind because I heard so much spirituality in that. It, it was emotional. It was, it was intellectual. It was physical. It was transcendental. And you gave us an exemplar. You gave us an example. You gave us a sample of what it should look like for that motivation, for that participation to have that success. I want to ask a question around the board. Whoever wants to go first on the panel can go. But what what is your takeaway from this conversation so far tonight as it relates to those high expectations that we need to have during COVID-19 and beyond? Who wants to go first? I'll go this yeah. out, Dr. Jones. Um, I'm, I'm thinking like in the future, like we, we've had to do a lot of pivoting these last uh, two years. So pivoting to the different ways of education, the online curriculum. Um, they thought that this wasn't going to happen for another 10, 15 years. And suddenly we had to go online and interact. But I think that this, there's still important elements of growth and maturity that happen from conversations with a face-to-face person. So I'm hoping that in the redesign of curriculum that they continue to include those opportunities for students to engage. Uh, I think students learn more when they're engaged, when they are hands-on with things and have conversations. You can get a lot of knowledge into them during those periods. So I I think the task is big, but we have to do it. I'm done. Powerful, powerful. Who's next? Oh, I think that when uh, Buddy Thornton was talking about celebrating the uniqueness of each individual student, I think that the phrase that popped into my head, Isaiah, was, it's a different world that we're in right now whereas teachers want to embrace the uniqueness of each student in front of them but there is a big elephant in the room that all of these seventh graders in middle school 
haven't had a regular school year since they were in fifth grade. They got interrupted um, through COVID and online teaching. Some of them were at home. Um, and parents trying to teach them and we've heard all the funny stories and all the funny memes you know about the daddies and the grandmamas you know walking in half dressed on the video <laughs> and so the fact that, that I'm going to try to segue what I'm going to say based on what uh, Dr. Stephen Jones talked about he said my favorite word and he said it twice and that word that Dr. Stephen Jones used was engaged because whether you're in the classroom in person or whether you're teaching virtually, um, engagement is the key because what happens is these parents uh, are at home and they're expecting their kids uh, to be focused on the lesson and these teachers are expecting it, the school administrators, the school board, the principal, everybody thinks that this teacher is teaching uh, effectively. Um, the same on the same level that they were in person but these kids are logged in and and they're playing video games or they're sitting there in their underwear or they're going back and forth to the refrigerator and you know how, how am i making sure they're engaged i have a granddaughter and you know she she logs on and she says she did, she just says here and, and she walks away from her computer <laughs> and so you have all these different um challenges and the key is uh one of the things i do when i when i do assembly programs the best compliment that I can get from a principal or a teacher is, I can't believe that you had these kids for six hours and you had over 500 students in this assembly and only two students in six hours asked to get up and go use the restroom. Six hours and only two students out of 500 asked to go use the restroom. What is the key to get them engaged? You don't have to make them uh, watch a YouTube video or a TikTok. They'll watch, they'll stay on, on YouTube for six hours straight, for 12 hours straight without you even having to tell them. So how do you get them to have that same kind of enthusiasm, that same kind of hypnotic approach when it comes to the education and the academic core that you're teaching? And it's, it's the engagement factor. I'm so glad Stephen Jones mentioned that because that's what's necessary because we have to realize that these high school students who are in ninth grade haven't really had the high school experience at all. They, the last time they had a full school year was in middle school. And so can you imagine a third grader right now who's taking standardized testing has never had a full school year since they were in first grade, since they were in primary, because the, their life, our whole planet has been interrupted. The status quo is out the door. And so teachers are still uh, figuring their way out on the fly as well. And so that's the situation that we are faced with. And not there's nobody who has all the answers. And we put it together and we are figuring this thing out as we go. But the key is engaging where these kids are actually learning and they're participating and they're glad they're there. And they, they keep them, you want to keep them riveted, whether they're watching it on digitally or, you know, virtually or whether they're right that you want them on the edge of their seat hanging on every word that the teacher is saying engaged participating in that particular content area because that's when teaching takes place that's when teaching and learning takes place like a dance it's like a ballet that takes place when you're walking in these students are just dripping with enthusiasm because they feel, oh my God, I feel like I'm really learning something right now. And they're going and they're glad that they are participating instead of just watching the clock and thinking that it's watching paint dry on the wall. 
And so the, it's, the, it's the excitement that the teacher brings to that lesson that's going to make that student wake up and go, okay, I want to get this. It's like my Angelo said, you might not remember what I said, but you remember how I made you feel while you were learning it. And so that's the tip of the iceberg. So I'm just piggybacking on um, Buddy Thornton talking about uh, celebrating the uniqueness of each child and Stephen Jones talking about engaging that student once you have their uniqueness um, on front uh, on front page and center stage. And so doing those things and then but, taking but, it to but, the next level and doing something about it. But, but, but Eric, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because we know, we all know that there's a lot of trauma in teaching. And I mean, especially now, right? And, and, and so this is a question a lot of people are asking. Why are so many teachers are thinking of quitting and why are so many teachers quitting? I mean, I heard what you said, it's beautiful, but still stats are saying that teachers are quitting for whatever reason, we know trauma is one of the main reasons, but I mean, you, you want to tackle that one? Stress? That's an easy answer. The, 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 the advent of uncertainty makes people back away. People want to participate in things where they feel secure. And so we're out here on a limb and I'm going to pass the baton right now to Stephen Jones because I know he's ready to get on this. And so when you start talking about the stress levels, people do quit. They say, wait a minute, I only got one life. YOLO, you only live once. Why am I going through this stress of doing things I don't feel appreciated? You know, these kids aren't paying attention to me. They aren't really learning. They aren't, they aren't involved in the lesson. And I'm getting all this pressure from the administration to do something that I've never done before, that no one has ever done before. And we're, we're trying to reinvent the wheel. No, we're not. Because we've never been in this situation before ever in the history of planet Earth where virtual learning is taking place. I did a workshop and half the students were online watching it, but I had about 100 in the gym. So I was going back and forth, toggling back and forth. So it was brand new for me. So I can imagine when you talk about why are these teachers quitting, why are they retiring? Because it's not, it's not comfortable in the stress. And you're getting pressure from the administration, and you're, you're being assessed and evaluated. And you go, wait a minute, hold on. Not only can I make more money doing something else, or this is my opportunity to shine or do something different that I've always wanted to do, or why am I putting myself through this? And they start asking themselves this question, and right now everything is in transition. And so when, it's not that they're quitting because they hate their job. They just see other opportunities. Okay, well, we buddy. The baton. <laughs> buddy, can you, you want the baton, buddy? Yeah, let me jump in here. And uh, First of all, I want to say that what uh, uh, Mr. Jones and Eric said are both dead on and there's absolutely no way you can ignore engagement and understanding that you need these kids to uh, read the room they, for lack of a better way of saying it you have to read the room and they have to read the room back I mean it's got to be omnidirectional we have to we have to see what's there you know, when you walk into a room and you've got a room full of starving students, you can give them a cracker and they're going to grab it and they're going to throw it down their throat. But when you walk into a room and all these kids are satisfied, you try to give them a cracker, they're going to throw it back at you and you're not going to get them to eat it. So, yes, you have to be able to engage with them at their level. You cannot assume they're going to be at your level. And, Eric, your entire discussion proves my point. 
if you can open their hearts, you can reach their minds, if you can keep them engaged, and that has everything to do with the energy you bring into the room. You have to show them, A, that you care about them. If you don't care about them, they will never care about you. And if they don't care about you, I don't care who you are, they're not going to learn anything from you. This is a caring world. Human beings are social animals. They need to believe that you care about them, you care about their future, you have an interest in them as a human being, and until that happens, you can do anything you want to do, brother. Nothing is going to work until you get that dynamic in the room. And yes, the elephant in the room, to me, is what's looking over your shoulder. Can we get this done with the administrators saying, hey, we need to hit this milestone. We need to hit that milestone. And my answer back is, do you want me to hit those milestones dragging in with these kids while they're kicking and screaming? Or do you want me to hit these milestones with them running down the hall with me? Because if they're running down the hall with me, we're going to hit those milestones and we're going to go beyond those milestones. We are going to completely dominate we are going to surprise you we're going to surpass all of your expectations but you've got to let me get them to that point we've got to get their hearts we've got them to believe that we care about them because if that doesn't happen it doesn't matter what the administrator says or does you're still not going to win the battle they don't understand it has to be about winning the room before you can win the mind. That has to happen. And everything you said and everything that Mr. Jones said is accurate. But it becomes a synthesized bottle that if we could just throw it together, mix it up, shake it, sell it on a shelf, every teacher in America would buy it. But they need to understand the importance of reading the room and opening their hearts because until you do that, you're not going to win their minds. I would love to be able to walk into any room and know that every mind in that room is going to focus on me because they know I love what they have in store for them for their future. Because they hey, know I care about their future. And because uh, you I care are, about you their are future, preaching out, buddy. I love that, that buddy. That is the way I approach these people. <laughs> No, no. I, I mean, you all, you all, you all are preaching. Let me let, let me let me say real quick because I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I told you tonight was going to be a special night. Uh, you know, as as this conversation is going forward, because uh, we're not finished yet, but we are almost out of time. Uh, the 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 person I, I I was thinking about as I was listening to you, uh, lustrous gentleman, speak uh, was uh, John Dewey. The thing about John Dewey, okay. This man is credited for starting the system of education in the United States. And one thing he said, I don't know if we remember it, but he said, this is just a laboratory. This is just a one fixed model for what I'm doing now. This is not the end all be all for education. How I'm setting up this laboratory, because he didn't even call it a school. He called it a laboratory, which is an experiment. And we took what he did and, and made it a cookie cutter factory system saying that, hey, this is education in a nutshell. This is how it's supposed to work. When John Dewey himself did not put that out, okay? 
He he said the intelligent mechanic engaged in his job, in, interested in doing well and finding satisfaction in his handiwork, caring, there's that word again, caring is the same thing as engagement, caring for his materials and tools with genuine affection. And that, my friends, is artistic. But go ahead. What do you have to say, Eric? I know it's going to be good. Oh, wow. It's, how do I limit this? I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna be relevant and, and fresh right now. Uh, two days ago, I got an inbox message from uh, a former student who remembered me from 18 years ago in Jacksonville, Florida. She said it was the first time she had ever felt excited about learning when she was in school. And she took the state writing test and she became the first student in the history of that school to score a perfect score on the state writing test as a result of things I taught her in that one day. And to trans, um, transition from that, I was in Chicago working with high school students. And at the end of the session, a girl walks up to me, she has on dark glasses and a hoodie, and everybody's out of the room and she takes off her glasses. And these big crocodile tears are rolling down her face. And she said, I just wanted to say thank you because this is the first time in my whole life that I've ever understood writing. And I got it now. And I went to one school that was low performing and they went from a 20% passing rate to a perfect 100 the next year. So there are results and outcomes that have to uh, match the caring that goes in there because if the kids don't, can't apply the information that you have taught them then it was you're just going through the motions. They must be able to have something that sticks to their bones that they could, that it actually made a difference that you were there, that they participated in that lesson, that they are going to the next level, that they feel encouraged, that they feel uh, brave to dive into activities and knowledge and exercises that they haven't done before when they have the confidence. Because I tell students all the time, if a millionaire lost all of her money, she would just make it all over again because she has the knowledge. She has the strategies. She has the confidence. And it's, it's art to learning how to learn. And so when you show students how to do that, as the smartest person in the room, it's like they know how to find answers. You don't have to know. I tell students all the time, you don't have to know the answers to everything. A smart person is not somebody who knows the answers to everything. A smart person is somebody who knows how to find the answers to everything. Okay, I say I'm going to stop. My goodness, somebody give him the mic. Give him the mic. Give the, now my pastor said don't drop the mic. And you did not drop that mic. I'm telling you. Let me let me go to let me go to Dr. Jones. Stephen Jones, I want to ask you a question because tonight we have had a I I would say we have a we have had a reflective, thought provoking conversation. And when I think of reflective thought, I, I think of people like Magellan, uh, who was the first person to circumvent the globe, the planet Earth. I think about people like Columbus, who was the first person to prove that the Earth was not flat, but it was round. Okay? And it's this type of belief system, I would say, that gives men, I would, uh, you know, a lot of people say energy. They like to use that word, energy, 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 energy. That's like the new word. That's the new buzzword. 
But I would say that gives a that type of person that type of anointing. And what I mean by anointing, anointing for me is when God selects you. You know, many are called, few, few are chosen. That word chosen means selected to, to do a mission, right? And Dr. Jones, with that being said, my question for you is, what is your why? What is your why? That's my question for you. What is my why? My why is, if I'm not in it, um, students are going to miss out on the opportunity of their life to get the best education possible. And my why is also to prevent students from dropping out of school, both physically, emotionally, and socially, so that um, they, again, can achieve their dreams and their goals. A lot of them are coming from homes where parents haven't been working over a period of time, uh, where there are different changes that have happened in terms of how they've been educated. But now, uh, as we're repositioning, is the opportunity to move them forward, to give them, to take them into uh, vision sessions and mission sessions for themselves to see what their future can look like. I think um, if we leave them stuck where they're at, then we're not going to get the educated citizens that we need in this country. Son. Look, y- y'all are just showing out. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Let me, let me. That was absolutely amazing, Dr. Stephen Jones. Absolutely amazing. I, I can't even. Oh my God. We got Buddy Thornton. We got Eric Court. We got Dr. Stephen Jones. Let me let me go back to Eric Court. Let me, Eric Court, question for you real quick because we got to get out of here. Uh, I want to thank you guys so much. Uh, for for being on the podcast, uh, my question for you is: How do you help students understand that taking notes and studying course material is the way to achieve academic success? And if that is the way to achieve academic success, that's my last question. I promise. I promise. This is so good. I, I feel like I'm at a at a all you can eat restaurant with all of the fixing, everything you got Asian, you got Mexican, you got it's like a, a gold, a, a five star golden corral. Anyway, um, <laughs> what's your thoughts, um, Isaiah? As far as just how, why is it important for students to take notes? Um, the first thought that comes to my mind is the age old statistics that people, human beings, only kind of retain uh, 10% of what they hear, but it it goes up uh, to, what, 50% of what they see. But then it goes up again to, um, I think it's like 75 or 80% last time these statistics, I know Dr. Stephen Jones knows this by heart in his sleep, but they say it goes up to 80% of what they actually do what they participate in, what they uh, are actively involved and engaged with. But here's the, the, the statistic that I love to best answer your question, why should students take notes? Because research has proven that human beings retain 95%. Think about that number. 95%, Isaiah Drone, 95% retention rate of what we teach to others. What you teach, I can wake up Stephen Jones right now at 3 o'clock in the morning and have him talk about um, 
his, his uh, area of specialization. He can do it. I can wake up Buddy Thorne right now and say, Buddy Thorne, wake up, wake up. Talk about um, the uh, your specialty right now, which is a social change agent. Talk about social change. Buddy Thorne can talk about that at 4 o'clock in the morning because he doesn't have to retain it because it comes out of him naturally because he has taught that lesson. So when students are taking notes, they actually become, they, they absorb it and they start teaching themselves. And you create this cycle, it's like siphoning gas, siphoning water through a pipe. You keep sucking on it, you keep sucking on it, and pretty soon when the water comes out, you can just put the hose down, and the water will come out on its own without you continually sucking because you have created an inertia of progress, a thirst for learning. So when students are taking notes, they get they actually start putting that into their system as opposed to just things that they have heard or things that they are listening to in a lecture because writing helps them to gain ownership and taking notes helps them to create that ownership that this information is now mine. So being able to access information is helping them to actually remember where did I write this and sometimes people put things in their own notes and now people design notes creatively so they can remember it because it's important if students are learning the way you teach then we should teach the way they learn and students learn with music they learn with rhythm they some students learn with quiet teachers some students learn when they're laying outside in the grass and some students learn when they're in a group setting and so when you have to find out the uniqueness, and it goes back to the whole circle, when you talk about the miraculous nature of this whole podcast tonight, Buddy Thornton started it off with the uniqueness. And that's what we talk about. When you find out how to blend all of our different personalities into one cohesive learning unit, that's when learning becomes magical. When I'm using your strength and you're using my strength and I'm using your talent and I'm using her gift and we're putting it all together and we're all learning at our own style, at our own pace, and we're absorbing the things that are important to us and we all soar together as a unit. That's what the whole planet Earth is all about as a family of, as a humanity of people when we come together and that's what the classroom is a small microcosm of that whole thing so that's the importance of taking notes ownership of the information that's being disseminated I said that was a long answer to give to get to that wasn't it okay. no it wasn't listen we out of here I want to say this before we leave thank you to the panelists uh, because of you uh, this podcast is being heard and of course in the United States we thank God for that it's also being heard in Germany, the country. It's also being heard in Brazil, United Kingdom, Bangladesh, Australia, Nigeria, wow. Canada, Ireland, Sweden, Turkey, Belgium, Cambodia, Costa Rica, Georgia, United Arab Emirates, Barbados, Denmark, Mexico. The list keeps going. Listen, I want to thank you for being on the podcast again tonight. Good night. Wow, good night.